I've known today's guest, hmm, let's just say that I've known today's guest and admired today's guest for a long, long time, many seasons. I've watched him grow. I've watched it. He's watched me do the same thing, or he might say it another way. I'm not sure. But I've watched him do some amazing things. And some of those things he's done with a tuba. And we are honored to have him on our live event called the Radio Rally. I think you'll like it too. Welcome to the Radio Rally on Clubhouse. What you are about to hear will be focused on lifting you up, giving you good advice. Of course, you'll be hearing some stories from a really amazing radio person and we'll be uncovering the path forward in radio right now. Today's live event will be a podcast called The Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, and will become available soon after the end of this live event, wherever you get your podcast. Our thanks to Joe Kelly for producing our podcast events and JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing them. You can meet our guests live on Clubhouse or subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a thing. We actually have two dose podcast the encouragers innovation and audio podcast which is our wednesday night live event and the encouragers the radio rally podcast both are on apple audible spotify and wherever you get your podcast today is december 13th 2021 tom baldrica corporate country brand strategist midwest communications but listen before we get started with today's guest for this live event right now on the Clubhouse app. Don't forget next Monday, December 20th, Lisa Goldberg, the Director of Sales for JVC Broadcasting in the state of Florida. See our guest calendar. And by the way, we are, we've scheduled people all the way through February now. You can get this in our free blog section at RainmakerPathway.com. We have encouragement for on-air and promotions with our more than live and local guest series and even more encouragement for local radio sellers with our encouraging sales success series and free resources for anyone in radio today. We don't lock away anything on our site the way some consultants do. So go to Rainmaker Pathway anytime and see what you can get for free from our team. Follow the people on the stage at this event. Look around the room to see people you might want to connect with as well here tonight. We do encourage networking for the good of your broadcast career. My name is Lloyd Ford. I'm with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. We help media companies and other companies with strategic direction, separating their products successfully from competitors, helping understand consumers, and of course, getting attention in the environment where you are judged. I call that environment where you make your money. And working with RPC is about growing your revenue. Everybody knows the consumer behavior is changing rapidly around every media business. Find out how to protect yourself and grow your brands. If you know somebody who's looking for fresh answers, we'd love to help. Uh, we are, are, of course, confidential and market exclusive for radio. Reach out anytime, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. Here's one more example of how we're encouraging radio pros at all levels uh, in what they're doing in the radio business. It's our 2022 sales liftoff, planning your bigger revenue year coming Thursday, January 13th. 2022, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. A little bit different time for us, but kind of cool. Join us live on the Clubhouse app for our revenue-only focused event that we plan to do quarterly for sales managers, market managers, and local sellers. We are specifically going to talk about recruiting new sellers and how we can help you get more out of Q1 in this event and drive your revenue in the first half of 2022. My co-host will be current sales consultant, Alec Drake, who just finished up about 15 years as the director of sales for Cumulus Media in Dallas. He will have two additional revenue partners riding with him. Chuck Wood, who's the VP and general manager of Delta Media Corp, a multimedia company comprised of seven television and nine radio stations in South Louisiana will be here. He will be joined by Scott Howard, who's the general sales manager of WoWo Radio, which is Federated Media in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So the radio rally, what you're hearing right now, it's our weekly Monday opportunity 
to visit with Radio's Best with our group, The Encouragers. If you haven't liked or joined The Encouragers, please do it tonight. Uh, we have at least two live events for you every single week. They're designed to grow your radio and audio career. We are so fortunate to have the best guest in the radio business on the Radio Rally. Today is no exception. In fact, the only exception about Tom Baldrica is that he has depth of experience in both radio, records, and as an investor and business owner. Yeah, I said it. He knows, he knows how hard it is to bring an artist to market, to push an artist onto the radio, to keep that artist relevant, and he knows the value and the cost of trying to make someone famous using radio and so much more. It's very rare for someone to jump from radio to records and then back to radio. We're going to find out about that today. <laughs> Today's guest has done it and has done it all very well. And, and that's a lot about who Tom Baldrica is. Tom, welcome to the Radio Rally with the Encouragers. How are you? I'm great, Lloyd. Thank you very much for that. I'm not sure who you're talking about. Oh, but you know, you know exactly who I'm talking about. That's very sweet. That's well, very listen, sweet. I, I want to start here with you. Can we start by going back to the beginning, mm -hmm. or at least one of your beginnings, radio? How did you first come in contact with radio? And tell us about little Tom Baldrica on the radio as the radio star. Well, I think uh, the way that I got started, I mean, really sort of tangentially was my father. I, 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 as I sit here speaking to you tonight, I'm in Virginia, Minnesota, which is, is where I graduated from high school. I've lived here, moved here when I was in sixth grade from a little town 30 miles from here. But when I moved over here, my dad, who was a, a, a music educator and then, and then ran a Schmidt music store, part of the Midwest chain, um, my father had a really good friend who was in the radio business, he sold, and then he was also did sports, and he was a part-time announcer. And so he invited my dad to come down to the radio station, and my dad asked me if I wanted to go along, and I did. That was probably seventh grade, eighth grade, and I, I always was intrigued by a microphone. I always had the gift of gab, um, and and sitting in the radio station that night, there was something that sort of triggered that thought, man, this is kind of cool, and I, I vividly recall Lloyd sitting there looking at the billboard magazine and looking at the oh. charts and looking for the at the trade ads and and reading the information having absolutely no idea that in 15 years or so i would be affecting that chart i would be creating those trade ads and i would find my name in that newspaper on occasion so that was sort of the first start but i think probably the the real place where i i became infected with the radio disease would have been when I was a junior in high school and I signed up for a junior achievement radio class and, mm. and, and the chance to, you know, come down and, and just kind of work through that program one hour a week and, and, you know, learning how and how they cut commercials and how they programmed radio stations. And so that was sort of my first foray into it. And then after that junior achievement class was done, uh, I, I talked to the local program director, Rick James, about getting involved and working on the weekends. And there you go. And, and it literally, that's what I did. I mean, so then I was, you know, in true Iron Range, Minnesota fashion on Sunday afternoons, I was board hopping the, the polka show, queuing up the polka records for, for Joe Speck and Tom Bombich. And then I was running the board for Minnesota Twins uh, baseball and Minnesota Vikings football and then uh, actually graduated to, to doing a Saturday night show where I actually got to talk over the, the, the radio, talk on the radio on, on the records. So that's kind of how it all got started was, was really was Junior Achievement Radio is probably where it locked in. I always get fascinated with what I learned. I mean, you and I have known each other for a long time, but I don't know some of these things. And when I talk to somebody on the radio rally, I, something always comes up. So for you, I mean, the first thing I got to ask was Rick James, a super freak. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the more, and the more serious question is this, man, you could have easily knowing you, I think you could have easily grown into the sales department and none of us ever know you. Well, I think that's probably very true. Uh, but I had no interest in that. 
You know, honestly, right. Lloyd, growing up, it, it, when I wanted to be Brent Musburger, I wanted to do sports play-by-play. That was, to me, that was the gig. And even getting involved in Junior Achievement Radio and this friend of my dad's who who did a radio show, but the thing I was most intrigued about is he did sports. And and so that, to me, is where I always thought that I would end up. And, and in maybe in my next life, I will will get a chance at that. But I'm I, Aldrika, the sports head. You know, I mean, and, and even and and after, um, you know, the, I, I got after college when I came back and, and and I don't want to jump ahead of your timeline here, but when I came back and put K100 on the air, uh, I was doing some local sports for the local cable television channel. I was doing high school football and high school hockey and basketball. And even at that point in time, I'm thinking, man, you know, maybe there's still an opportunity. Um, and then I realized I'm really not a nomad. I'm not really very good at being someplace for 12 months and then being someplace else for 12 months and being someplace else for 12 months. Uh, like a lot of people I have known who have, have done that amazingly and seamlessly throughout their career, I knew that was never going to be me. Uh, so Ooh. it kind of became pretty clear that, that that wasn't going to happen, that the sports thing wasn't because I wasn't willing, I don't think, to work in Dubuque for a couple of years calling games for the Iowa Bornstormers, you know? I just, hey, hey, listen, I, I remember early in my programming career reading that the average length of time for a stay for a program, the average for a programmer, 18 months. Mm-hmm. And it's like, exactly. oh, and, and, you know, back then I was in my 20s. So right. I really got an opportunity early, early. And so I was have gun will travel guy. I love that idea. You know, mm-hmm. when you're older, you start to go, I don't know. Yeah. And he, but even at, even at that age, you know, I mean, it, that just for whatever reason, that didn't appeal to me. You know, I mean, that, that the thought of doing that, I'm very much a nester. And I think that that has kind of shown itself really throughout my life. Well, and listen, it's going to be really fascinating when, when we talk about the arc of your career and the fact that you knew that early. I'm going to go back again and say, okay, here you are, junior achievement. Did you recognize I have a deep passion for radio? Um, you know, I, I think I, I don't know if I had a deep passion for radio, Lloyd. I certainly had a respect for what it was and what it can do. But you have to understand, you got to back this up even a little bit further with me. I'm the child of two music educators. My father was a band director, uh, a music educator for, for 15 years of adult life and then moved to manage the Schmidt Music Store, but continued up until the day he died. He played a city band concert 24 hours before he died. And my dad was, was a, a music uh, advocate. My dad was a band director. My dad was a teacher his entire life. And my mother, who I live one half a block away from right now, from the house I grew up in, is in her 58th year of teaching piano. 58 years of teaching piano. So when, when you talk about me, Lloyd, in the music, you have to sort of realize it's in my genes. Um, you know, so I've always been passionate about the music. I certainly understood uh, what the power of radio was and what the power of the microphone was. Um, right. But I, 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 I don't think I could honestly tell you that, that I fell in love with radio per se. I, I fell in love, I think, kind of with the whole process. And I knew that there was a lot of power behind that microphone. And I also knew there was a lot of power in how you know, you could make or break people's careers by by how these records were getting played. So I I, I identified that relatively early on, but I I don't know. I mean, I, I certainly knowing how much you know the ins and outs of radio and the nuts and bolts and 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 how much of a student you are, or like our mutual friend Chris Huff, who can give you every set of call letters oh, in every oh. radio station in America, right? For from from the time that Marconi invented the damn thing. So um, I I was never really that, but but the music and the love of the music and the appreciation and the respect of the music is what got me started. It's what I think was really probably my greatest strength when it came to being a record guy. And it's still something that I feel very passionate about today um, in, in, again, in a varying sort of role than, than where I've been before. But, but I'm passionate about music and I'm passionate about music education and what a difference that that makes in people's lives. And that's where the, 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 the real passion for me lies. 
It's interesting. I just finished up reading Will Smith's new autobiography called Will. And in it, he talks about how fundamentally important and and powerfully influence your parents are even when you don't realize it. Listen, right. before it, before you stepped across to the other side of our business in records, mm-hmm. what was your goal for your radio career? Was it really I'm going to be the I'm going to be Brett Musburger? Was that Yeah, I mean goal? that that really was. I mean that really was. I mean and and I think that was the long game for me in the short term. You know, I was just hoping that that I would be able to be on the radio in Minneapolis. You know, I mean, being a small town Minnesota kid living three and a half hours from the metropolis. That's the big time. right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's the big time. You know, I mean, for me growing up when my dad and I would would go to to the Twin Cities on the weekends for go for football games or Viking football games. You know, we're listening to Boone and Erickson on on 830 WCCO, the big neighbor, you know. And and that always felt like to me. And then as goofy as this sounds, the Mary Tyler Moore show set at fictitious WJM TV 12 in Minneapolis with Ted Baxter as your anchorman. And 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 that that sense of, of Minneapolis just kind of being to me to being the small town kid in a you know population 10,000 when you go to a metro area of 2 million that felt like the biggest thing in the world so i wanted to be on the radio there and then i i wanted to to take it farther and, and if i wasn't going to stay in minneapolis and be doing twins games on wccl then i wanted to be doing sports someplace else and then that right. all got sidetracked <laughs> and, I'm, and i'm not ready to talk about that yet we are going to talk about that a little bit but Right. But man, just for me to know you and think about all that you know right now <laughs> past that is yeah. really incredible. Listen, for those who don't know, we're going to take a we're going to take a side street here for a second. Tom, you have a serious Batman personality. That's my way of saying you have a Batman fetish, but I'm going to say it in a more manly way. Uh, uh, can uh, you tell us about your love for Batman and perhaps share a few of your prized possessions oh, that man. may surprise us. Well, you know, uh, uh, the the passion for it, I, you know, I mean, I was a kid. I, I was born in 1962. The Batman TV series debuted in 1966 all, and on for, for three years. But, of course, at four or five years old and the cultural phenomenon that Batman was, uh, it was sort of just ubiquitous in my childhood. And, and I always... You know, I mean, I was a fan and I was a fan of the television show. And then, you know, as a kid, I would get a few trinkets for Christmas or I'd get something for my birthday. And and I'm a collector by nature, a Batman collector. I'm a baseball card collector. I'm a, I'm a sports memorabilia collector. And and so I just think that 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 love of Batman just kind of came from a very early age. And I think, honestly, Lloyd, it kicked into overdrive when I was in the record business and when I started in the record business, because you and I both know for, for a guy like me trying to get to a big shot program director like you at WSSL in Greenville at 100.5 <laughs> downtown in the bank building in the oh, nation's boy. bank building, trying to get to a guy like you, you're always looking for a way that, that people can remember you. And it became very apparent to me very, very quickly that this whole Batman thing really was a great marketing tool for me. And mm-hmm. I think that and I think that you would have to agree with that assessment, knowing me since the fall of 1993, that that has absolutely manifested itself to be the truth. There are a bunch I, of people there are a bunch of people in the music business that have no idea what my real name is. And as soon as you say Batman, they picture me. I mean they, they know. I mean and that's that has been my calling card for a long time. And so and let from, this be a lesson to anybody in the radio business who's ever thought about branding. You right. think you think okay, I can't be known as something that is internationally world famous, whatever, as Batman. Well, yes, you can. Yeah, um, I mean Rika proves this. I mean, you know, and, and and you know because we communicate all the time, there's a Batman meme for damn near everything that you say to me. You know, right, I mean but and I'm, but I'm not letting you skate. You got some cool uh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I would get to that. But I also want to give you one other thing. And there's something that you weren't bargaining for in this conversation either. Uh-huh. But but when when it when it comes to when it comes to the whole Batman thing, yeah. I think there's another really interesting piece because people know me, th- those who know me know me. I'm very gregarious. 
I'm very outgoing. I'm very much a people person and I'm, and I'm very much out front. I think what people don't realize about me is that there is a sullen sort of a darker side. And, and I don't mean darker in a neurotic, uh, crazy sort of way, but there is a quieter side of me. There's a, there's a different side. And I really do sometimes think that that cowl is that dual identity, that, that you can be somebody else when you put that cowl on and you're somebody oh. completely different when you take that cowl off. And that's as I said, fascinating. yeah, you know, I mean, like I said, I, I think that that's probably a little more than you bargained for. And that might mean that I need now to lay down on the couch and you got a whole bunch of questions to ask me, Freud. But the, you know, the, 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 that's a real that that's something that I've actually thought about that. I think there is some legitimacy to that, that it does give you a chance, especially in a very public job, like either being on the radio or being in the in the record business, that it gives you something to quote unquote hide behind. And I'm not telling you that, hey, you, listen. That you, you know, that I wasn't real, but I think it changed the persona a little bit. No. And look, you and I know a lot of people across the country who, if you really go to dinner with them, they are not this person that they've given themselves permission to be because they've got this name and they're on in a market and they're doing that job. Right. They are that person. It just, they're given the freedom and, uh, you know, a lot of people obviously know this from acting. You hear people like Tom Hanks or, or I mean, you name it, okay? They can yeah. tell you about putting that that shield on, if you will, and stepping <clears throat> into those characters. Right. Listen, right. you are a very passionate guy, Thomas. One of my favorite things about you, I think it is an area in which you and I match up very, very well. Mm -hmm. uh, you have already told us that you're so passionate about music that comes from your parents and and, you know, there is no way that you're getting around that, you know. Um, no, no, nor do I want to. Did you feel like back in the day or now or when you were in the music business itself that you could pick hit records or did you just love being around it? Oh, I think it's a combination. You know, I mean, I I've always felt like um, I had a pretty good ear um, for for a hit. But I also think that it, it probably went a little bit deeper just in the fact of how I'm so very open to letting the music move me. And, and that, 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 to me, has always been the indicator. You know, I mean, and, and for as long as I can remember, um, you know, I've always listened to music that way to, to, to feel what it is that's washing over me. And, and in the music business, that was a little bit different because I worked for a man who always wanted the answer to his question five minutes before he asked it. So to, to, <laughs> to, go through, to go through that process where I wanted to listen to things a little bit more, I used to want to listen in two or three different environments and at different times of day and such. So to answer your question, yeah, I think I was pretty good at identifying a hit. And I would tell you that I think I'm still pretty good at identifying a hit. But I, I think what, what's even still more important to me is I really believe that through a lot of the, the, the songs and the singles that I fought for, the artists that I fought for, um, I was always looking for whatever it was that was going to move the passion needle. That's what it was to me. Um, and, and if I felt it, I thought more people would feel it too. And so, yeah, I've always felt comfortable. I, I, I felt very comfortable. I feel very comfortable to this day talking to artist friends of mine and, and that, you know, they will send me music and ask what I'm thinking and, and management teams and such people mm. that I've worked with for years. And, and I'm still very vocal. I mean, when the new old Dominion record came, I, I sent a note to Clint Hyam, who I've known for 25 years since he, he's been managing Kenny all the way along. And I just mm. sent him a note. And all I said was, Clint, if I'm in the promotion meetings fighting for the singles, I'm fighting for this one, this one, and this one. And I'll tell you why. So I still do that shit. Whether anybody yeah, cares or not, I don't know. But I still do. And it still matters to me. And I still do it. I listen every week when the new things come out. I, I'm paying attention all the time. I'm still very fascinated by the game. Um, I, I, listen, I don't usually have a moment of vulnerability, but I got to bring one up here. Okay, you and I have been friends for a long time, and you know that one of the things that kind of twisted me early on was that the people that I went to work for when I was a young programmer, I started programming when I was 22, mm -hmm. they told me definitively, these people that are record reps that come from the music industry, they are your enemy. Right. Literally. I remember, I remember you so, telling me that and treating well, me like that for the first six well, months I knew you. Well, and so, you know, you grow up in the business and you kind of 
you have your own arc, if you will, and you start to see what's true versus the noise. Right. You know? Right. And and for right. those that don't know, I have been married for 15 years to a record rep. So, which so, is so know, ironic. <laughs> yes, yes, kind of, kind of a fun, interesting trivia, if you will. I am interested in this about you, though, Tom. Tell us about the first record person who maybe said to you, "You know, Tom, you should be on this side of the business." The first man that said that to me was Ken Vanderand. Ken, oh man, Ken was was the was the head of promotion at the brand new BNA record label. He, when I first met Ken, he was was working for RCA. He's and, also an incredible human being, by the no, way. Oh, he's he, he's an incredibly smart man. He is so well read. He is is he, he's just he is really just one of the, the the smartest guys I know. And I will be honest, and I've told him over the years that I stole a lot of stuff from him. I mean, in the way that I did things because I thought he was so good. I mean, he was. He was the first guy that identified, you know, of all the record reps that I was talking to, he was the first guy that really sort of grabbed onto my Minnesota Twins fandom. So here in the mail comes a Rod Carew card. Here in the mail comes a such and such with a little note. Hey, thought about you when I saw this. He was the one that taught me the value of the thank you note. And you well, know wait that. Wait a minute. Absolutely. No, wait a minute. Is that... You, were these markers to you along the way that you yes. went, oh, look, oh, look at absolutely. that? Oh, oh, absolutely. Oh, there, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you know, just that understanding because he was the one that that really, without ever really talking that much about it, I think was the one that exemplified customer service better than absolutely. anybody that anybody that I had ever met. And, and smarter than most people, honestly. Oh, very much, very much so. And and you know, one of those guys that that you know, he just. He had an instinct about him. He had an intuitiveness about him. Um, you know, he he was not the world's friendliest guy, and he was not by any stretch of the imagination a social butterfly or a, or all that friendly, quite honestly. But if you got to know him, you realized what he was all about. And he was he was the first guy when when I was a Gavin reporter up here at the radio station, and and I got you know we got Gavin reporting status, and he was the first guy that called me. And he just has a whole series of firsts in my life, Lloyd. And and one day we were just talking about something and he said to me, you know, if you're ever interested in the record business, he said, I think you'd be really good in the record business. Were you frightened by that? Because you're a guy no. who doesn't like to move around. You, no, you know. no, I wasn't frightened by it. I was intrigued by it more than anything else. And I mean, you know, look, the first time he said it, um, I didn't lose a whole lot of sleep over it and I didn't think about it a whole bunch. But I can tell you that that as. We were progressing along with the radio station and, and, you know, clicking off the markers of things that I wanted to get accomplished and hope that we were getting done here. Um, I could start to get the sense that my instinct was telling me something else is coming. It's time wait, to oh, do wait, wait. something are, else. Are, are you a guy that trusts his instincts and your instincts are usually right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, so, I, I've, been, so, I've been trusting him since I've been trusting him since I was a kid. And look what's happened to you. No. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. I know. So, so listen, so so did he hire you? Well, the way it worked was this, that uh -huh. that Ken Ken was at RCA when I first met him. Then Ken became the head of promotion. He was never a vice president of promotion, but he was the head of promotion for the brand new BNA Records label. Mm. When he got that job, that was that was probably 1991, I suppose, when that when BNA came into existence. Mm -hmm. And I just remember when he got that job thinking, all right, now this is my opportunity to dig a little bit deeper on the possibility of me working in the record business. So I set up a call with him. I asked him when he was calling me on the weekly music call when we got done talking about um, Aaron Tippin records and, and yeah. um, um, Berg records and, and the stuff that he was working. I asked him, I said, can we set up a time? I would love to get on the phone with you for 35 or 40 minutes because I got a bunch of questions about the record business. So he took that call. We did that probably a month or two after this. So it was probably late 1991. In the interim, Ken moved out of BNA and he moved back to RCA. He did not like living in Nashville. He did not like being in all the meetings. He wanted to be on the road. He wanted to be a regional. So he moved back to Baltimore to take the Northeast for RCA. And when he moved out of that job, Chuck Thaggard 
took the BNA job. And, and Chuck was living in Minneapolis at the time. And so there was an opening for the Midwest Regional. And Vanderan said, the guy that you want lives in Minnesota. You want to call him, make him your first call. And that was in the fall of 1992. Now, ironically, Chuck made that call. I would have moved to Minneapolis. I would have been the, the BNA Regional in the Midwest. But we had just purchased with the radio station as another signal in Duluth, a tower in Duluth. And we were going to upgrade this radio station, K100, that I was the, the founding father of. And I was it was my station and it was my format and it was my every damn thing. And we were about to take this thing and, and, and double the size of it and go in another direction. And I just couldn't leave at that moment because my work wasn't done. So ironically, I passed on that job in the fall of 1992. Ooh. It went to Joe Devine. May he rest in peace, my dear friend Ooh. Joe. One year later, Lloyd, I'm driving back from a car remote at Lundgren Motors. It's September of 1993, <laughs> and, and we, have made, we have made all the changes we're going to make. We have upgraded the radio station. We have done all this stuff. And I now have this feeling one year later that I had about 18 months earlier, which is the voices are speaking and they're telling you it's time. Jump. So I, on my way home from the remote, I was thinking about it. I got home. This is, of course, in the day pre-cell phones. I got home. I got home to my house. I dialed Chuck Thaggard's number. Happened to be a Monday night. Fortuitously, that was in the day before it was media-based charts, so everybody was waiting around for the faxes to come from R&R. &R. Of course so I'm, were. Talk, I'm talking to Chuck at five after seven. He's still waiting there, and I said, Chuck, I just wanted to call you to let you know that I think I might be ready for the record business. And there was this silence on the other end of the phone. He said, you got to be shitting me. And I said, why is that? He said, because our Southeast Regional just turned in his resignation today. I wrote your name down about 15 minutes ago that I was going to call you tomorrow. I said, well, you call me tomorrow and let's have a conversation. But I think it might be the time. And then right. that and that was it. And then I moved to Atlanta. So tell us <clears throat> about becoming a records guy. Was it tough? Was it fun? Was it frustrating? What is all of the above? Walk? On well, the record side, like, what's it like? Well, I mean, you know, first of all, you're taking me and, and I move now on. I moved literally. I was driving to Nashville, driving to, to Nashville to, to meet my new team. They were all coming in for meetings. So I was going to be in Nashville for a couple of days before I was going to, <clears throat> excuse me, be in Atlanta where I was going to be headquartered. So I'm I am driving down to to Nashville on my 31st birthday. And I'm thinking one year ago on my 30th birthday, my then girlfriend, now wife, threw me an unbelievable surprise 30th birthday party. And here I am one year later, I am in the middle of nowhere wondering what the hell am I doing? I've never been to Atlanta. I, I've never said I wanted to live in Atlanta. And here I am with all my shit in the car and I'm moving to Atlanta. So I'm, I, I got to tell you, it was the craziest, it was the craziest, you know, two day trip I've ever had. I left a buddy of mine's house in Minneapolis on a Saturday morning and drove to Horsehead, Kentucky that Saturday night and then got to Nashville the next day and, and went through all these emotions. But the first, the first five months, I mean, there's a great sense of excitement. There's a great sense of anticipation. This is all new. Here I come with my youthful naivety, and here I come with my passion, and by God, look out, because I am about to rock your world. Oh, well, no, wait a minute. Let's talk about that. Did you also at any point have a sense of uh, imposter syndrome? I mean, you know, <clears throat> did that ever happen I mean, to you? You know, I don't know that it was imposter syndrome. I never felt like I didn't belong there. Right. I never felt I never felt like I was out of my element or out of my league. Um, but, you know, I mean, there were certainly a lot of questions because I'm twenty five hundred miles away from where I grew up and where everything in my world is. And and so I just was was dealing with the idea of just life in general. Is this what right. I really, is this really what I want to be doing? Living so far away. Tracy was not with me at that point in time. She was still up here. My family was up here. All of my friends were up here. My whole world was up here. 
So no, the, the no, only question might, I had is whether I'll be able to survive this bullshit. Well, and this might surprise <laughs> you. And so this is something you didn't sign up for when you said, yeah, I'll talk to you on that thing. Sure. <laughs> um, I never, not one time. I mean, at some point I realized you were in Nashville, right? Right. But I never thought of you as being anywhere except Minnesota. How about that for owning something? Yeah. I know. That's, that's wild. pretty good, right? So yeah. listen, most people on the radio side only of our business really see record reps and record labels in one dimension. It's right. always we they want more airplay. They want right. more airplay. They just want us to play whatever they're pushing. Now, right. do you think it is misunderstood how stressful those jobs are and yes. how much detail and and what I would call service work is involved in that side of the business. You you talked about that a minute ago. It's yeah. a lot of those things. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. You know, and, and I I always sort of approached the job, and I think this was was partially Van Durand, and I think then it was me sort of completing the sentence and and what I knew about leadership and what I knew about my my parents again were both ran a retail store. I worked in retail. When I was in college, I worked in retail the summers. I was up here. It was my after-school job at Schmidt Music. Uh, I will tell you, whoever said the customer was always right is full of shit and never worked in retail. Um, but, but that that being said, Lloyd, I I just always approached. I, I'll give you the answer in two parts. I'll tell you my approach, and I'll tell you the answer to, to your question. I I always approached it, and and still firmly believe to this day that a record rep is really the tiebreaker. I, I firmly believe that that great records will find their way through. Lousy records are going to hit a wall at some point in time like they deserve to do. And then there's those mid-chart records, those teens and the and the, the 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 you know number nines and number eights. There's those records that that may not necessarily be the biggest hits of all time, but there's something there that deserves to be played. And I always felt like the record guy, and if you did the right things as the record guy, you got the you were the tiebreaker. You and, and if they were looking at two records and one and they they both kind of had the same path, they both had the same sort of spins, they both had the same kind of growth path. I always wanted to feel like Tom Baldrica was gonna get the ad because he was better at what he did than the other guys. And you know, the, and this the, is really this is really great that you're saying this. I do some coaching, and a lot of people don't realize this in my practice. Also on the sales side with sellers, and and mm-hmm. it's so interesting. I've never used the word tiebreaker, but but honestly, somebody's going to sell what occurs, right? right? Well, so and, and you, it's your DNA. It's what you bring to the table. Don't right. underestimate that. And and what I what I anybody that's ever worked for me that that was ever on my team. Um, heard me say a couple of things very consistently about working records. One was there is not one record on your list or one artist on your roster that's worth ruining a long-term relationship over. This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. So that's the first thing that you keep in mind. The second thing you keep in mind is you have to be honest. And what I mean by that is, Lloyd, and I know that you and I had a couple of these conversations over the course of time. Where I would call you, I would give, I would do what I was paid to do. I was telling you about the Dale Daniel record. I was giving you the stats. I was giving you everything that I needed to do. I get done. I have done what the company pays me to do. You come back to me and you go, man, you know, I'm kind of interested in that record. I say to you, all right, turn the tape recorder off. Let me tell you something. I got news for you. This record isn't going anywhere. We don't have another ad on the board, and I'm not going to hang you up to dry on this record. So I I appreciate that you're interested in it, but wait a minute or two before you make that move, okay? So so now you've had that kind of experience with me. Fast forward, could be two months, could be four months, could be four years, where I'm working a record, and I'm telling you all the stats, and you're like, Tom, I just don't get it. That record, I just don't get that record. I don't understand. And then I come back to you and I say, Lloyd, remember when we were talking about that Dale Daniel record and that was a record that you liked that I told you to stay away because it wasn't going anywhere? And you go, yeah, I remember that. 
Well, I'm telling you now, trust me when I tell you, I know that you're not getting it, but there is every sign on the planet. Don't miss this one. And, well, and look, I know and, that there's going to be records people that hear this, and my wife will not be one of them because she knows exactly what you mean. And yeah. I'll tell you, just from being a, a radio guy that's always been on this side, right, that is impactful. When somebody does that, you know that they are shooting you straight. Now, they may try to sell you sometimes, but you know that if there's trouble, they're going to say, Okay, I'm not going to BS you. That's this is that's the that's the key distinction that you just made. Every record guy, of course, we're salesmen. We're always trying to sell you something. But at right. the end of the day, if you're a, if you're good at it, and and you have made an impact, you know that you can say to me, "All right, turn the tape recorder off. Let's talk about this record honestly. What's really going on?" And then you know, because of our history, because of, of right. the, the relationship, you know that no longer is that sales mode. This is me telling you what the bottom line is. Well, and, and, I and, felt, I've always, always and I've always felt you. that was really important. And, and, and the third thing, Wade, and then you can, as I always would tell my guys, if you, re, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. So if you if you come and tell that you need to tell the truth to me, you need to tell the truth to our radio brethren and our partners. Don't lie, because once you start lying, you forget the shit that you said and you're going to say the wrong thing to the wrong person. And then we're going to have a whole lot of trouble. You know, we're encouragers here on the radio rally and our innovation on audio, which happens on Wednesdays. And if you're going to be an encourager, you always have to talk about relationship, the important the importance of long term relationship. I have always known this about you. I've always known. And I think the smartest record people, the smartest radio people, the smartest, you name it, whoever they are, they know that relationships are longer than a particular thing. It's one of the troubling things about the politics in the country right now is people want to die on the sword of right now. And it's like, okay, that's going to be really weird and nobody's going to get anything done. So, you know, look, I've got four questions left for you in my part of this and two big questions. So let's get one of the big ones out of the way right now. Tell us about BNA and Sony. And also, you know, I'm not going to interview you and not make a big deal out of this. And have you go on record about the progress with the world's first Batman waffle? (laughs) Okay, because we all remember this is yeah. not a thing that you yeah, said. Yeah, no, I'm no, I know do this. You said, yeah, I'm going to do this. I know, no, I've I've always said that, and it's and it's so funny, you know. People think I'm I'm full of it, but that's actually the truth. Well, I always uh, thought you were real about that. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> and it's true. Um, so so it's a short answer on the Batman Waffle House because the last time uh, that I inquired about that, I was told by Waffle House Corporate that they were not giving out any more franchises unless you were a current or an existing franchisee. So that sort of shot that down. And the fact that they don't have any North of the Mason Dixon line. And I am now firmly above the Mason Dixon line. So, so, so the Batman waffle house, unfortunately has taken a back burner. I still have everything I need to to, wait, wait, wait. So you're just at an impasse with the waffle house people. Well, I mean, yeah. And, and, you know, but, but looking at what's gone on with restaurants over the last year and a half, I don't think that's the world's brightest investment at the moment. So, so so it's, it's still on my mind. Let's Let's talk talk about about BNA and so what what do you want to talk about there? Oh, you know, we're going to talk about, uh, um, let's see, we'll talk about leadership. We'll talk about, uh, uh, what it's like to work in that story building mm. at that time, you know, well, I mean, there's so many things. Yeah. I mean, about. look, you know, it was, it was a remarkable run for us in, in the, the early two thousands. I mean, really for, for, for the majority of the two thousands, when, when you think about when, when Arista, RCA and BNA all came together, when Galante came back from New York and it was the RCA label group, and Arista was always his own business unit, and, and RCA and BNA were always linked. Well, when 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 Joe came back, and it was the RCA label group, and Bobby Craig was running Arista, and Mike Wilson was running RCA, and, and I was running BNA, and there were a couple of years in there where, where out of the 50 chart weeks, we were number one, 31 or 32 of the chart weeks. Crazy. There, I mean, we were winning at the award shows. We were winning 10, 11 out of the 13 and 14 awards just simply consistently. We had platinum records everywhere. I mean, it was 
it was remarkable, Lloyd, in the volume of the success. I mean, when you're yes. talking about Carrie Underwood and Brad Paisley and Alan Jackson and Brooks and Dunn and Kenny Chesney, oh, yeah. and Lone Star, and you know Jake Owen and Chris Young and Martina McBride and Alabama, and I mean, and we literally were the cat's pajamas. It was an extraordinary run. Um, but as I have said to my dear friends, Bobby Craig and Mike Wilson, who I still communicate with on a regular basis, and two guys that I would go in the foxhole with until the day I died. human beings. Yeah, yes. they're fantastic. And I, I love both of them dearly. And as I have said to them on numerous occasions, and we all agree with this, those were the good old days. We just didn't know they were because <laughs> there, were, there was no time to enjoy it. Uh, yes, my right. boss, my boss was never one to look backwards. You know, I'm in my fifth week at number one on Amazed, and it's say, hey, congratulations. Can you stay there for six? You know, right. I mean, it, it wasn't even I mean, it wasn't even a complete sentence for Christ's sake. You know, how about congratulations, exclamation point, take a breath. Can I'm surprised you hold it, it was you know? a question knowing him, by the way. Yeah, well, I'm exactly. Wasn't, you know? I'm surprised it wasn't something like, look. Lone Star got the five weeks. Can you right. get me one more? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But by the way, we ended up getting nine. Um, so, wow. you know, it it was an extraordinary time. It, I mean, and I think that, that people thought we were over there eating crack crab and drinking champagne and throwing babies in the air all the time. And the fact of the matter is we weren't. Um, I faster, don't think there was, there, much, yeah, right? there was not, a, there was not a whole lot of enjoyment of the, of the success. Mm. There was not a lot of celebration wait, of the wait, success. Wait, wait, it, wait, it was wait. an expectation. But wait, looking back at it, do you get that now that you go, okay, well, there's this pride and association with that moment in time, which was really longer than a decade. Oh, no. I mean, I, I am completely proud of it. And I, and again, I think that, that everybody on the outside looking in was thinking it was the greatest place on the planet to be. All right, and so it, listen and, up. And it wasn't a horrible spot to be by any stretch. I'm just telling you that there wasn't nearly as much celebration and revelatory, revelatory, uh, you know, action as, as people thought there was. We weren't celebrating. We weren't partying like it was 1999. It was what are you going to do next? What's the encore? How are you going to follow this up? You know, well, let's talk about following that up. Let's talk <clears throat> about you going back home. Why <clears throat> did you do it? What allowed this? Well, it got to a point, you know, I mean, and, and, and after, you know, my time, I was, I was the head of promotion at, at BNA from 1997 until 2006. And then in 2006, uh, they came to me, my bosses came to me and, and wanted to move me to the, create the, the head of marketing job that did not exist at Sony Music Nashville at the time. And the idea was to give me, I had all the promotion experience, and the idea was to give me the experience on the, on the other parts of the building creatively with, with the creative department to be working closer with, with the artist development and the marketing people. And, and potentially, career path was to be the general manager of, of the label group. Oh, that's right. Um, so I moved into this new position, and it was another step of moving me farther away from what I really loved. Um, there was a lot of shit that started going on, political things back and forth, um, things that don't need to be discussed here, but, but that happen in every organization. Absolutely. And, and it happens when you change people and, and you know, when, when your leadership team at the top, one person changes and the dynamic changes. And, and so we had some of that going on and, and it just became really very apparent to me um, that this was really no longer a very good fit for me. And, and it was partially the company and it was partially the job and it was partially the, the business. And, and there was Wait, honestly, so this, there was, this goes back to your instincts again. Correct. Oh, very much so. Very much so. I mean, I, I knew there was a morning in February of 2010. I looked at my wife and it, and in the 17 years I had been working for Sony, I had never said this before in my life. But when I looked at her that morning when I was getting ready to go, and I said, you know what, honey? I really don't want to go there today. And she just kind of gave me a look. And, and she thought that it was maybe just a moment, but I knew that it wasn't just a moment. I could lie to anybody about how much I loved this job. I was still really good at it. I mean, with all arrogance aside, I was damn good at it. And, and I still could play but I didn't want to. And, and as I tell people, it became very apparent that I was no longer 
interested in selling the unnecessary to the disinterested or doing the impossible for the ungrateful. And and it just got to that point that I said, I don't want to be doing this anymore, or I really need to think about what my next step is going to be. Well, fast forward from that February morning of enlightenment to July 28th of of, um, 2006, when I was informed by Gary Overton that my services were no longer necessary at Sony Music Nashville. Okay, got it. Called my mom, wished her happy birthday, and said, by the way, I got fired for your birthday, so happy birthday. Um, my high school, my 30th high school class reunion was two weeks later, came up, Larry Loser, no job. Good news was I didn't have to buy a drink the entire weekend. Everybody felt bad for me, so they bought me cocktails. Um, but I, I went and I ended up taking a little time off in the fall, and then I went to work for Average Joe's. And I went to work for Shannon Houchins and, and, a, and an independent little label, which was just so completely different than what I'd done before. But Shannon was also was was just a visionary, and, and I love Shannon. And and he was very closely working with a group called Guerrilla Marketing, which is Jenny Smythe and her gang who have re who, who invented music marketing online. So being able to go and spend a bunch of time with them was really cool. Uh, well, and wait and, a minute. And where are you when you're I'm, I'm still I'm still I'm still in Nashville. I'm still oh, in Nashville okay, at this point. It. I'm still in Nashville. I'm working for Shannon. But in my mind now, I am thinking, how am I getting back to Minnesota? How do I go find my bearings to figure out what I want to do next? I worked for Shannon for two years. We had we had a great time. We debuted a Colt Ford record at number one on the on the album chart. We had a top five single with Montgomery Gentry. We had some success. We did some some things. It was really a lot of fun. And then my buddy Mark Wright came calling, and Mark had been trying to hire me for years in various places. And he said, "What does it take for me to get you to come to Showdog Universal?" I said, let me move to Minnesota and run the label out of my basement and we can have a conversation. And then that and that's how it started. And yeah. so in the in the in uh, that would have been. Oh, man. Uh, what? 2012. I went to work for Mark and oh. um, ended up moving up here. People had no idea for the two years I was running show dog that I was here. I was in Nashville once a month. I was traveling all the time. I just wasn't living in Nashville, but I was doing everything that I was and I was done. And it gave me the two years then to realize and decide what I wanted to do and and where, you know, because I was 50 years old at this point in time. So certainly not done, but realistic enough to know that I am not going to go work in the salt mine if I'm sick and tired of the salt mine. I just, All right. So you know, let, let's talk about really pulling that rib cord. Can mm-hmm. we talk about your current job as corporate country yeah. brand strategist for Midwest Communications. How did that job come about and what's it like? Well, the way that it came about, Lloyd, is that that uh, the, the radio station that I put on the air all those years ago, K100, now Radio USA, the gal who we hired as our first salesperson back in 1988 has been with that radio station through every iteration of its lifetime. And she now is the general manager and and the market manager after Midwest bought it a few years back. So I was up here and, you know, I I had when I my two year sentence or contract that show dog was up, depending on your perspective. (laughs) Um, When when those two years were up and I I called George and I said, George, I just he said, I know. I said, I I just I can't do this. I for various reasons, and we won't go into what those were here. And it wasn't because of me living up here. That had nothing to do with it. It wouldn't have made right. a damn bit of difference where I was living. Um, but I, 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 so I had some time off. It was a fantastic fall for me. I played golf with my dad every day that it was sunshiny. And on the days it was raining, they had just released the Batman series on Blu-ray DVD. So I watched that. So I was a happy camper in the fall of 2014. Called my old friend, Christy, over at the radio station, said, hey, I got some free time. You want to have lunch? I haven't seen you in a while. So I went over there, had lunch, talking about one thing after another. She says, well, why don't after the first of the year, she said, why don't you come over and just do part time on the air? She said, I'll get you out of Tracy's hair for a little while. You can have a little fun and we'll see what happens. So I said, yeah, I'll do that. So I ended up going back and doing afternoons on this radio station that I put on the air back in 1988. This is now the, the, the winter of 2015. So what's that? 27 years later. Very and, wild turn of events. Oh, craziness. Just, just craziness yeah. all the way around. So, you know, during the course of this, you know, Christy is having a conversation with Jeff McCarthy, who is the VP of, promo- of programming for Midwest Communications in Green Bay. And, you know, 
she's telling him about me and this guy's going, wait a minute, this guy, that's, he's working for you in the afternoon and he lives in Virginia, Minnesota, and he's got that kind of resume. And Christy said, yeah. And Jeff said, well, tell him to send me his resume because maybe there's a conversation. And I said, well, Christy, tell him I don't have a resume. I got a bio, <laughs> you know? Right. And so I, I'm not putting what my career goal is on the top. You know, here's what I've done. So I just got to starting to talk to Jeff a little bit about some different conversations. And, you know, we just kind of realized that that there could be a fit here because I'm really like a Nashville Rolodex. I mean, I can get to places with a phone call or two that most people can't get to Nashville with a map and a GPS and a flashlight. So I, you know, I just sort of talked myself into this, told him what I thought I could do for him, what kind of resource I could be, and then gave him an interesting way of how he could afford me. Now, you know, I mean, I still think he's getting a great deal, but, um, you know, so it was an interesting way of how all that worked out. And, you know, I mean, I've been doing it for six years. I mean, and, and it's, it's really great fun. I mean, the last year and a half has certainly been difficult because there hasn't been nearly as much activity out on the road. But it's been really fun. It, it's, it's fun That's to be a resource. It's, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's fun to be a resource. It's fun to be a teacher. It, it's fun to, to flex, you know, the, the, the marketing and the creative muscle. So I kind of get to do all sorts of different things with that. And it has been really a, a, a fantastic um, opportunity for me. And it has really sort of fit nicely in my life. And then I do two radio shows uh, on, on the contemporary country stations, my old station, 99.9 and then I do cat country in Duluth. So um yeah, it's it's the best of all worlds, Lloyd. And, I don't you think know. you said the most important benefit that you probably give Midwest, although I'm not sure that I'm qualified to say which one that is, but I would say this about you. I would say not only do you have the quasi Rolodex, I don't know what the version of that is today. Why right. you just right. you just know people and that's what right. it is. Right. You also know what's not possible. Correct. Okay, which I think is really Correct. important when you're dealing with Nashville, you're dealing with artist management, you're dealing with so many different moving parts, and the moving parts <laughs> are moving. So yes. now, now look, I've come to uh, my final question for you, which is, uh, is the real big time, right? <laughs> if, if somebody comes in contact with you, you come in contact with them. They want to follow in Tom Baldrica's footsteps. What advice do you have for them? Because this is going to be not only the live event for the people that are, are here right now, but the podcast that's going to be out there as a part of our archive. People will come to it right. and listen to it. What kind of advice do you have for them? If somebody wants to go start in the, start in the record business, or, or I'm sorry, in the radio business or whatever business, right. end up in the record business and scale it, which I'm sorry, you did. Right. And, Thank and you. then, and then take a crazy left turn maybe and come back to the radio business after so much change. Right. What's right. the well, advice you give them? Well, I think, I, I think there are a couple different things. Number one, and it obviously it's a reoccurring theme with me is trust your instinct listen to yourself, you know, and be honest with yourself. Uh, when you're brushing your teeth or combing your hair in the morning, looking in the mirror, be honest with yourself. Uh, second thing is, is be passionate about what it is that you're going to do. Don't ever just say this is a job. It's not just a job. This is your career. And when people say don't take it personally, bullshit. Take it personally. This is your job. This is your livelihood. Don't ever use the term, that's not my job. Don't ever get yourself in a situation where you think that you shouldn't be doing anything that part of what it takes to be a team. So I kind of just throw a bunch of things out there about be trustworthy, work hard, do whatever it takes to pitch in, trust your own instincts, be straight up with people and give whoever you are working for an honest day. You don't have to live, breathe, eat and sleep at 24, 7, 365 all the time. There are times that it calls for that, and then there are times that, are, that it doesn't. But, but live up to your expectation and expect more from yourself than you do from anybody else. So I think it's all those just sort of pieces, Lloyd, that, that how I feel about, about just trusting your instincts. Go chase what you want and give it everything you got. And be honest to say, yes, this is working, or no, this sucks, and, and figure out what's next. But, but trust yourself. 
I love it. Tom, I want to thank you for being on the radio rally. Can you stick around for a few minutes in case some of the folks in our audience sure. might have a question for you? Sure. All sure. right, listen, uh, follow the people on stage of this live event. Look around the room to see other folks that you'll want to connect with and network with. Our purpose is to encourage, and networking is a big part of encouraging your career in radio. Also connect with the encouragers. If you've not liked or followed us, please do that because we love for you to share that with other people that you know. Of course, we're going to open up the room in case there are questions from you to our guest right now. All you have to do is push the little button at the bottom that looks like a hand and a notepad. I suppose that's supposed to be your iPhone or Android device. But basically, you just push that button and I will see that. You don't have to do this. This is one of the big things that we tell people. This is a safe environment. We're supposed to bring the content. We bring the guest. We have the conversation. If you want to talk, you can. If you don't want to, you can just hang and listen. That's fine, too. I also have people who send me questions through the app itself, so that's kind of cool, too. And we do ask that if we do bring you up on the stage, that you mute your microphone until we call on you. Check anytime our latest update on schedules because we keep adding guests we publish our full updated schedule for both innovation and audio our wednesday event and the event you're listening to right now which is the radio rally we we actually have a calendar for each one of these you can see who's coming up on these shows at rainmakerpathway.com and that's also where you can get fresh and free resources for you anybody in the radio business also don't forget Check this out. You're going to love this. Uh, we've had a little, well, we've had a little disturbance of the force this week, which is really kind of cool. Don't forget on Wednesdays on Clubhouse Live, Innovation and Audio with Skip Dillard. He has crossed the street in New York City. Kind of a cool occurrence as well. He's now at 94.7 The Block for Odyssey in New York City. On Wednesdays, live events, we deal in the real world of innovation. We do bring people to that live event who may, it may be somebody you would never meet otherwise. And we allow them to talk about creating environments that encourage innovation. It's our way to give you a different creative perspective about change, creativity itself, and of course, creating and encouraging innovation. This Wednesday, yes, just two days from right now on Innovation and Audio, we will feature Christina Corp. Now, she is the CEO and executive producer and also astronaut wrangler. I kid you not, she knows Buzz Aldrin with Purpose Entertainment in Witter Park, Florida. Now, look, just in the last couple of days, and I cannot wait to ask her about this, she's hanging out with penguins in Antarctica. So we're going to ask about that. So now's the time for those questions. And and look, Tom, I I, I do have this question from our audience. Uh, somebody wants to know, how has the business changed on the radio side? Because, you know, you were out for a long time. Right. You pop back in. And also, how much has it changed over the record side? Because a lot of people are noticing how much that's changed oh, just shit. in the last... 10 years. Yeah. I, you know, the best analogy that I can give you on the record business is that I'm a, I'm a single wing offense against a run pass option world because it's a game that I don't recognize. Back in my day, you know, you got one ad and a plus 12 spins and you were fighting for your life on that record. This day and age, plus 12 spins and one ad, you get to play uh, and you get to keep going and you get to play for 65 weeks. In my time, right. we had three number one Chesney records in 65 weeks. I don't know how you build a career. I don't know how you build any sort of momentum on any of these people because by the time it comes around, you get 65 weeks and then it takes you another 30 weeks to get their follow-up going. And then maybe the second one is a hit another 65 weeks later. So now you've got two songs over the course of two years. I don't know what you do with that. Um, well, and, and here's the real question about that. How do you build a business model? Around well, that, that, right? that's that's the other part that I honestly that I really don't understand. And and when you come to the modern day record business, I mean, again, my timing to get out was right on so many different levels and how you manage people and how the way the game is being played and how you motivate people and how you keep score. But my biggest bitch about the record business right now is simply there are way too many people taking no from somebody who can't give them a yes. And the whole the whole game needs to be revamped 
in the in the sense of what these people are doing, because we all know it's a top down business now. There are a few local opportunities, but for the most part, everything is being pushed top down. So there needs to be a real reevaluation of the way that you you take and deploy the resources of your people at, and whatever it is that you're calling them, marketing people, regional people, whatever, whatever term you want to put on them, there simply is, is got to be a better way because to me, there's a whole lot of, a whole lot of wasted time and energy of stuff that isn't getting done by people who are just pushing paper around in the trenches. That's that side. Right. On, on the radio side, the biggest difference of course is automation. Um, and that has its good points and its bad points. But I think the other toughest thing about the radio business is how rubber, how, how tightly stretched everything is. I mean, I see it in our cluster all the time. One person goes down sick and it is an act of Congress to try to figure out who you're going to get to cover that because you no longer have a bench of part-time people. You don't have a, a group of extra bodies around. You are just basically kind of like a, a, an airline schedule. There is no room for error. There is no room for a missed flight or you're going to set the whole schedule off nationwide. And that's what I, I see in the radio business more than anything else is just simply the lack of manpower to be able to get done the things that radio really needs to get done. All right. I know I shouldn't, but I got one more question for you. And I swear, if you can't get this done in 30 seconds, you don't know what the answer is. Okay. Do you have a secret of life? Forget about radio. Forget about all this other crap. Okay. Our jobs are what we do for our life. Right. And I know that you're a guy that understands this right. because of your relationship with your wife and, and just what a quality person you are. What's the secret? Well, the secret is, is again, is follow your instinct and don't be afraid to chase the happiness um, and, and do the things that are going to make you happy. Um, and, and then, oh, that sounds so pedestrian, but that's really what it is. That's why I moved back here, Lloyd. I moved back. I moved back a half a block from the house I grew up in. I got after being gone for 19 years and seeing my my parents two or three times a year. I can see him two or three times a day, and I would see my dad that often up until the day he died. The three and a half years that I had with him, there is not a backstage Christ. pass. There's not a Learjet trip. There is not a front row ticket. There is not an anything that comes anywhere close to that. And then now for these past four and a half years to be with my mother as her life has transitioned for us to be able to to grieve the passing of my father, but continue to live life and be here together to be able to do that and spend more time with my sister and with her family, with my wife and her family. And I just spend a lot more time with people that I love and I'm not working my ass off 24-7, 365. So my whole thing is chase the happiness. And the sooner you learn that, the better off that you're going to be. Doesn't mean you shortchange your employer. That comes back to what I said before. You give them a full day. But that's what you owe them. You don't owe them your life. You owe them a full, hard day's work to get the job done. They pay you X to get Y done. If it takes you four hours, it takes you four. If it takes you 12, it takes you 12. That's your responsibility. Right, no and is the tuba involved in happiness? Absolutely it is. Every single day of my <laughs> All life. All right. Well, listen, we do try to keep things at about an hour. One of the great things about our live events is that you can listen to what is required to ask questions. We want this to be a safe environment for you. Thank you for joining us every Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for the Radio Rally. Remember, if you know somebody that you would like to hear as a guest on the Radio Rally, email me. It's simple, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. I hope that you have a great week. We'd like to say this on Rainmaker Pathway and the Radio Rally. Once you have a radio station, you can get anything else you want. We believe it. Our thanks to Tom Baldrica for being our patient and giving guest. A very special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, which should be available. Uh, if I know Joe, it'll be available in 30 minutes or less. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, you know, we want to thank JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint. You have no idea how much these people are doing. And they also distribute our podcast. Please do share our podcast, The Encouragers, The Radio Rally, and The Encouragers, Innovation and Audio with others you know that are interested in growing their careers in audio. Both podcasts are available on Apple, Audible, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. If you don't remember anything else, please remember this. Be kinder than you have to be. Thank you for being a part of The Radio Rally with The Encouragers. And good night.